Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of Technado with Don Pizzette. Well, that, that would be me. So with that, well, welcome to my podcast. And today we got a great show lined up. Peter is not with us this week. Uh, he's not dead. Yeah, not, not yet. He hasn't uh, gone to the great beyond. But he is he's down at the Hymns Conference, and Melissa, our wonderful director, is also down at the Hymns Conference as well. So it's the uh, it's the inmates running the asylum here. Oh, this is going to be fun today. Daniel and I are left to our own devices. And speaking of which, I am joined by Daniel. Daniel, welcome to the show. Uh, uh, thank you for having me, uh, Mr. Brazette. It's an honor and a privilege to be here today to speak in front of the committee. Uh, I uh, Usually when you're not here, Peter and I, ramble on about you know scrooge mcduck or whatever so we got to come up with something for when peter's not here that is our random aside well you know it could be our random aside what's that cisco month oh i like it it is cisco month at it pro tv and we have a phenomenal guest with us here miss erica cooper from cisco she is uh joining us from actually where are you joining us from erica so I live in the uh, D.C. Uh, metropolitan area. I'm, I'm actually out of uh, Maryland, so I'm closer to D.C., like Bowie, Maryland, so not too far. We never know where anybody is anymore now that everybody's working remote. And, and I was going to yeah. say, that's that's in the U.S. then? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it is. Nation capital. Oh, that's right. I knew I'd heard that somewhere before. Was that there was like a there was a city in China that was called USA so that they could put like made in, in USA, USA and it would be USA and so you, <laughs> I mean clever. It, I'm, clever I'm in DC Lithuania yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well geography is going to be in another podcast yeah. but today we've got technical stuff going on and uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about Erica in our first segment rapid fire questions which I'm going to botch because I don't see the rapid fire questions. Uh-huh. Button. They're hidden. <laughs> you know, all these times I make fun of Peter because he doesn't find the button and then I do it. But here we go. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Erica, in this segment, we are going to rapidly fire questions at you. You'll see a timer appear on the right side of your screen. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you take too long, we will buzz you. Like that, and move on to the next question. Uh, we'll we'll kind of go back and forth between Daniel and I on these. And the first question, I normally get to pawn off on Peter, but I get to pawn off on myself today, so it's coming from me. Uh, so our first question is, you know, everybody knows who Cisco is. They are the the the, the world leader in networking equipment, so that's kind of a given. But people don't necessarily know you. What do you do for Cisco? What what is your job role? So I'm a senior technical leader within U.S. public sector. I deal a lot with uh, different customers, uh, not only on the government side, but also with the uh, state local uh, education department. We call them SLED East, SLED West. And so any type of uh, challenging, complex design scenarios, they come up, then I have to kind of come up with a, a solution to actually fix that and support not only our customers, but also our engineers within the, uh, within the organization. Very cool. Very cool. Now, my question coming straight from the top of my head and not being read off the paper at all <laughs> is uh, what was your journey like to get where you are today? Was IT the uh, plan the entire time? Absolutely. So I started out as an electrical engineer. And then once I graduated from college, I went straight into working in my field. Uh, it's always been 
IT has always been at the at the center focal point. And so I moved over from traditional voice engineer into the data world. And uh, what you see right now, uh, as far as from data, from routing and switching, now into a, a, a data center, and then now into cloud. So I've had some ebbs and flows within my, my career, but uh, it's been pretty uh, fantastic because, uh, like I said earlier, it's, you know, IT is the actual focal point. It's the center of uh, for everything. So I really enjoy it. I, I enjoy the troubleshooting. I enjoy interacting with uh, the other engineers and then also uh, within my customer base as well. All right. Now, I have heard that you are a CCIE, and several years ago, I set out to get the CCIE myself. I studied very, very hard, uh, took the test. I I failed the troubleshooting part, passed the configuration part. So I learned that if you want me to set up your network, you'll be fine. But if you want me to fix your <laughs> network, it's a whole different story. Uh, but but you, uh, as, as the rumor has it, got your CCNA, CCMP, and CCIE all in one year how the heck did you do that, and how miserable was that year? <laughs> wow, so that's, okay, so I have my CCNA. I've had my CCNA, some really accurate. Um, my CCNA, I finished up, I had it for about 10 years, and my MP, uh, the same, about uh, 10 years. But I finished up my CCIE in 2014. Uh, so that I, I did complete within a year, and that was extremely challenging. Uh, it took me four attempts to actually pass my, successfully pass my, uh, CCIE. I started out as a routing and switching candidate and uh, moved over from uh, data from there into data center. And uh, the transition was pretty smooth because routing and switching was the foundation uh, for everything at that point. So it uh, wasn't that hard for me to make that transition. But uh, it, the data center exam is extremely difficult. Uh, it wasn't that much, uh, you know, reference material out there. I was reading a ton of white papers uh, directly from Cisco system. So uh, just going through that and uh, constantly labbing, I was able to successfully pass in December of uh, 2014. Well, congratulations. As anybody that's ever messed with Cisco stuff knows, that is no easy feat. So my hat's <laughs> off to you, my dear. Uh, that said, my question is going to be about Cisco Plus and networking as a service. Do you, we're, we're actually going to be talking about these things in an upcoming webinar. Is that something you see as the future in IT? Absolutely. Uh, right now, everything right is going to the cloud-based uh, services. So you're starting to see really, I would say within the last two to three years, a dynamic shift from the, what I would call to the traditional, uh, you know, network engineer where you take your laptop, console cable, set everything up. No, it's going into heavy automation, heavy cloud as a service, or any type of, you know, infrastructure, platform, network as a service. So that the customer right now, their requirements are starting to really become a little bit more uh, strict as far as what they want to see out actually to pull it out in their in their environment. So as a company, you know, you're going to have to be able to make that shift and make it pretty quickly. Otherwise, you get left behind. So definitely uh, network as a service or anything as a service is, is starting to really uh, show uh, prevalent in the industry right now. I thought it was nepotism as a service. Completely <laughs> wrong. Completely wrong. Weird, weird business model. Nah, she doesn't work for the government. She <laughs> yeah. works for Cisco. That's right. <laughs> now we do, we do have a little bit of time left. I want to sneak an extra question in, which is uh, obviously Cisco is constantly releasing new equipment and trying to stay on the cutting edge of technology, oftentimes innovating that new technology. How do you stay up to date on um, what's new, what's coming on the horizon? Like, what, what are some of the things you do to keep your skills sharp? That's a great question. So I attend a lot of different conferences, and then I also stay plugged in 
uh, to my uh, social media platforms as far as, like, for example, Twitter. Uh, the, if you follow Cisco Systems on, on Twitter, they have a lot of different uh, new programs and new technology that they've introduced there once it's already been approved internally. So I try to stay plugged into the uh, through the uh, seminars and then also uh, through either LinkedIn or, or uh, Twitter because that's pretty much but they'll give you a lot of great updates on, from that perspective. Uh, and then also just interacting with my fellow colleagues. So that's how I try to stay as current as I possibly can. Yeah, a ton, heard, of yeah. And a, ton of, a, a ton of labbing as well. <laughs> and your, your unspoken secret there is that when you say you stay plugged in, you mean it literally. Erica is a robot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, Erica, you are a very, very technical person. You are involved in complex network design. You've got a great knowledge set. And so I'm really excited about this next segment we have, which is sometimes we get guests to come on and tell us about their worst IT nightmare. So let, let's cue this one up. Worst IT nightmares. It was a brony convention. Wow. <laughs> All right. Now, in a perfect world... IT is binary, zero and one. Things work or they don't work, true or false. But we all know in reality there is this gray area in between. Some people call it quantum computing. The rest of it call it <laughs> an IT nightmare. So, uh, Erica, can you share with us what is one of the, like, well, maybe you've only had one, hopefully, but but well, what is one of the worst IT nightmares that you've experienced? Wow, that's a great question. So one of the challenges that I've had, you know, especially as a senior technical leader, is you know, a lot of things that our customers come up with, we have to resolve it. And so my customer had an Azure Stack uh, solution that uh, I had to actually go and assist on and, and actually be the lead representing Cisco uh, between uh, my customer. And then the, there was a, uh, Azure Stack is a joint collaboration between Cisco systems and uh, Microsoft themselves. And so Azure Stack provides government customers the ability to uh, access your cloud, you know, the cloud, uh, public-facing cloud environment, uh, and what they call a closed or off the internet uh, environment. So it gives government customers a, a pretty much a secured way to access um, the cloud itself. And so what we did from uh, my team, my engineering team, and myself, we went uh, actually to a, one of our partners, uh, physically installed uh, all of the gear, uh, installed all the top rack switches. Uh, all of the compute storage, and also set up all the routing infrastructure and, and actually uh, connected directly to the Azure portal, uh, public facing portal itself. One of the challenges that we encountered was that uh, when we finished up the install and we tested registration, tested all the privileged access point, uh, privileged endpoint, uh, you know, connectivity and uh, test out the workloads and you know, via virtual machine instances and everything, that worked great on site at our partner. When we shipped the equipment out to the customer, that was where the nightmare started because the customer uh, encountered several different challenges, whether it was from physical cabling to powering up things out of sequence, uh, which when they do that, it actually corrupted the database. Uh, so at that point, it was myself, our tech engineers, uh, from Cisco and then also the Microsoft tech engineers on the phone with the customer because it was a complete uh, troubleshooting effort between both vendors. And at that time we had to, well, Microsoft had to initiate what they call break the glass. And break the glass means that you have to go in and, and it's equivalent to what we see on the Cisco side, which is kind of like a, 
the device boots up and it doesn't have an actual image, it'll you have to kind of, kind of go into it and break into that Raman state and kind of recover that image and recover that database. Well, that's the equivalent to Microsoft side. Uh, so that took several hours to troubleshoot and get things back up and running. Uh, you know, correct the databases that got corrupted. Uh, then also, uh, you know, fix the timing issues that had encountered because they powered up everything incorrectly. Once we finished up that, uh, we were able to, you know, get the, the actual connection between the Azure Stack uh, equipment and back up to the public facing Azure portal. But it's a, it was very challenging. What the unique challenge was the, the fact that we had to uh, communicate and team, you know, basically get both vendors and their how we, uh, you know, handled, you know, tech calls. We had to actually handle that directly between both vendors. And that's a unique challenge because it's, you know, Microsoft does things we, you know, completely different than Cisco. But one of the things that we all agreed upon between both vendors was that the customer was the focal point and making sure that the customer was satisfied with the installation. Uh, that was also important as well. Uh, so that was just, it was just a unique challenge overall. It, for for the, the troubleshooting effort, it took quite a few hours I would say almost about 10 to 12 hours to get that up and running. So. Wow. You know, there, there's a saying that no plan survives first contact with the enemy. <laughs> I, we always said no plan survives first contact with the customer. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like that's what you had. Like you, you obviously, you have a lot of resources at your disposal. We're talking about Microsoft and Cisco. These aren't exactly startups. And, <laughs> and so you build out the infrastructure in your own environment. Everything works perfect. And then you add the customer, and it all goes downhill. So you're like, "What are you doing with that that equipment?" Oh, I don't know, but it's on fire. <laughs> well, right. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Really appreciate it. Uh, you know, it, it's always great to talk to some of the people that are out there in the field that that are are the ones that are actually getting the job done, doing yeah. the technical work, not like creating a marketing slick like Peter normally does. Yeah, yeah. Since he's not here, we can make fun of him. Uh, so let, let's take uh, one last moment here before we let you go to talk about uh, some upcoming ventures that you've got. I heard that you're going to be attending the Grace Hopper Women's Conference. Can you tell us what's going on there? Absolutely. So Grace Hopper is one of the true pioneers within the IT industry overall. Um, she was the founding member for uh, the programming language uh, C++ as well as COBOL. Uh, so she's just a phenomenal person. So she, every year, um, we have their, her conference that comes up. And this year, I'm, I'm submitted my information to actually be one of the uh, key speakers at the conference. So I'm going to be attending the conference, talking at the conference, and then, you know, uh, you know actually, uh, you know, interacting and networking within the, the, um, the setting as well. So it's a great, it's a great opportunity for, you know, people to come in and just really partake in just, uh, you know, interacting with different IT members. Uh, so that's great. All right. And you also mentioned that you are, you're always plugged into your social media as far as being able to keep up to date on what's going on out there. If our listeners want to follow your antics, what, what would be the best place for them to find you? <laughs> so you can fi always find me on Twitter uh, at uh, techlady, T-E-C-H-L-A-Y-D-E-E. -E. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. And then also cloud expert uh, is cloud and then the letter X. Uh, solution.com that's always there you can always find me uh, talking about cloud solutions uh, and it's vendor agnostic uh, so it's just anything that uh, comes up from either Azure uh, Google or uh, AWS I always talk about it on my blog so and then also cisco.com I always try to blog there as well so. 
All right. Excellent. Well, Erica, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your stories. We really appreciate it. And we'll have to have you back on the show sometime. It was a lot of fun. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. And for everybody else, we're going to stop and take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we've got the tech news. So stay tuned. So right now, this is an awesome company. We've developed a study group environment where we have small groups of four to five people in each of our office locations that meet once a week and they, they talk together about what they're doing in their certification. We developed a recommended reading list. We do a couple chapters, each one, uh, as well as the IT Pro TV videos. Not only does our company provide incentives to take the tests, but we pay for the tests. We also pay for the time to study on the tests and we give a bonus to the employees if they pass the test. It's one thing to study for months on end toward a goal by yourself, but to have someone else with you, like there's a lot, a lot of benefit for that. All right, welcome back everybody to the second segment of TechNado with me. <laughs> and we are jumping into our new segment. It's going to be extra fun today because Peter's not here, so it's it's Daniel and I. We get to do whatever we want. We're probably so, going to jump the rails on a few things. We'll, we'll see you how this know. one goes. <laughs> but uh, but we do actually have news articles queued up. A lot of really cool stuff is happening this week. I have intentionally left a few articles off. Uh, we've been doing a little little extra war coverage. I think people can get that from pretty much anywhere these days, so uh, so they don't come to TechNATO for that necessarily. Uh, and and a little bit more of the ransomware gangs has been going on. So we're not we're not blind to those things happening. It's just kind of becoming our new normal, which is somewhat unfortunate, I guess. Sometimes you need a break, right? But we do have new news, <laughs> which is what we're going to cover here in our next segment. And now, the news. All right, Daniel, what's the first article we got queued up? Oh, let's see what we got here. Uh, Microsoft releases direct storage, a new era of fast load times, and detailed worlds in PC games. <laughs> Sounds like earth-shattering stuff. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> uh, all right, so it, it does sound kind of silly, but it is somewhat important. Uh, direct storage, if you're not familiar with it, is a new API that's a part of Microsoft Windows that allows, it allows some really interesting things. You know, when, when you look at a motherboard, you see all the copper wires that run between the components. Well, almost everything that happens on your computer gets routed through the CPU at some point or another. And that's a bit of a bottleneck for certain activities. So every now and then we want to take a shortcut and direct storage is exactly that. It's a shortcut that allows you to read data directly from an NVMe disk right into your GPU's memory. Now, video games are, are certainly a, a big use for this. This technology was rolled out originally in the Xbox last year, so it's not exactly new. But what's new here is it's coming to PC, and that's going to enable very fast rendering of video. In the past, the video would have to be copied from the NVMe to the CPU to be decompressed and then dumped into the memory of the video card, and then the video card would do its thing. Now it can go direct. And this reminds me, it reminds me of the old days. Daniel, you, you I mean, you got into computing about the same time as I did. Probably. Uh, do you remember DMAs? Uh, direct memory addressing, yep. right? Yeah. 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 So, you know, back then when you put in a PCI card or an ISA card, God forbid, <laughs> you know, something like that, uh, any communication with that card had to go through the processor. So anytime the card talked to memory, it had to do that. Uh, and so sound cards were notoriously bad about it. And so they rolled out DMA to allow the sound card to be able to send data directly into the computer's RAM. This is the equivalent of that, except for your graphics card's memory. And way back in the DMA days, your graphics card didn't have much memory. But nowadays, they, they ship with quite a bit, 6 gigs. I've seen 12 gig uh, cards that are out there. So uh, should be a substantial increase 
and you know for any kind of graphics application i mean they make some pretty graphics out there nowadays i'm not gonna lie you see any of the uh new games that they're doling out they look beautiful i mean it's just amazing and now they're gonna have this capability to make it even i mean you're, you're never gonna want to leave your house which <laughs> you know I, I will say this though let me and uh, don i want to get your kind of take on this for me I, uh, I, I I value gameplay and interesting game experience over things like graphics. What's your take on that? Do you think that the graphics are such an incorporated part of the gameplay that you can't live without it? Or what do you, what do you think? All right, we, we got to think about use case here and, and situation because it certainly varies. And yeah. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to use video games as an example. Okay. I'm going to use a movie, right? Because we're movie guys. We like movies. Avatar. Okay. All right, Avatar. I, yeah. I probably just stop right there. Just throw one word out, and people it elicits an emotion. There's yeah. some people out there going, "Oh, I love that movie," and then there's you know the rest of us. Well, I was like, going to say you and me at least. That movie sucked. <laughs> uh, Avatar was a very visual movie, right? Yeah. It was the 3D effects, and it was so dependent on it that you saw it in the theater. And you were wearing your 3D glasses like a, you know, lemming. Then, <laughs> then, then it was then it was great, and you loved it. But if you were like me and watched it on a Blu-ray or something, then it just wasn't as exciting. Like it really required the graphics. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually shot at your television as you watched the movie. Right? <laughs> the, the movie was was really bad. It was rough. It was rough. I did not understand the love for that flick. But you know, moving away from from video games and movies, though, yeah. we can go to business uses, right? So there there are actual business uses for this. Uh, I was messing around in. Um, uh, Zoom the other day, right? So Zoom conferencing, a lot of people use it. Zoom can run GPU accelerated. And web browsers, a lot of them are GPU accelerated. And so if you've got applications that are using your GPU to accelerate the rendering of the application, if it's graphics intensive, you could be loading it that way. And we've got companies like Facebook pushing their... Meta, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff I hate. I should, <laughs> we should queue up the Don Hates IT. Yeah, I know, right? you uh, got it right in front of you. I'm not hang here. on, we're going to do it. But you see, Peter's not, He's here. not here. This is so. the time to do it. What Don Hates. Yeah. That, that is Peter, if I'm not <laughs> mistaken. He's here in spirit. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm going to tie this into Facebook's Meta. Uh, okay. Or, or Sorry. It's Meta is the company. Right. Got to get this straight. Metaverse is the BS they're pushing on us now. <laughs> Daniel, are you excited about Metaverse? Oh man, I peed my pants with excitement <laughs> on not wanting to watch that. Uh, <laughs> as my well, you, bro- as my brother would say, I can't wait to not use that. Yeah, well, you, you don't you don't watch it, you experience. <laughs> oh yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever the hell it is, I don't give a crap. I do not understand the like that is not my thing. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an example of where direct storage is actually going to impact businesses. Where you know now you you may you got to load your product placement. You got to load that Pepsi logo as fast as you can into your 3D world. Direct storage will facilitate that. So it's coming to a computer yeah. near you, and it'll look beautiful. It'll be it'll be amazing. They're like way better than the real Pepsi logos that are out there. <laughs> yeah, that's just dumb. <laughs> All right, and ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up this segment of what Don hates. <laughs> what Don hates. Yeah. We use it twice. Hateful person. <laughs> Peter's gonna riot when he gets back. So awesome. He's wanted that segment for so long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move to our next one, Daniel. What else have we got? All right, let's see what's on the chopping block here. Apple announces two thousand dollar Mac Studio workstation with new twenty core M one Ultra chip. How dare you, Daniel? It is not a two thousand dollar workstation. Oh, it is I a know. one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollar discount and deal. Ninety nine cents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a big Apple announcement last week. They they rolled out some new stuff. Uh, it really wasn't their most inspiring event. The, the ones in spring usually aren't, right? They're typically upgrades to things. Uh, but they did do, do something really interesting. 
which is finally roll out a high-end machine. A lot of people have been complaining lately that Apple's kind of their their pro logo doesn't really mean anything anymore. Like the iPad Pro isn't really like a professional business unit, and the the MacBook Pro kind of stopped being pro a long time ago. I think they did some like comparisons between the Air and the Pro, and they weren't very far off of each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the difference now is on the newest ones, they put ports back on it. Ah. And so MacBook Air, no ports. Yeah. MacBook Pro, ports. So <laughs> It's like when I sell you a vacuum cleaner. Now, if you want this lovely uh, electric cord that plugs into yeah. it. That's going to cost you some money. <laughs> oh, you, you wanted a bag? You yeah. didn't just want the dust to blow back oh, out? Oh, <laughs> well, you didn't say that. <laughs> Welcome to Accessoryville. <laughs> well, one thing I will say is that Apple's workstation hardware is normally outrageously overpriced. Uh, this one does start at $2,000, which is not not unreasonable for a workstation. If you are yeah. a graphics editor, you probably expect to pay a solid four grand for a, a dedicated editing workstation. Uh, so this is not, not such a bad price. Uh, they also released their new 20-core M1 Ultra chip, which if you're if you're confused, because I think we all are at this point, Apple marketing has lost their mind, uh, you have the, the M1, the M1 Pro, the M1 Max, and now the M1 Ultra. And I I made a joke about it in last week's podcast because the announcement was going on while we were in the podcast. So I, I was seeing some of this stuff coming out, but it was it's too early for me to report on it. Uh, so the the M1 regular, unleaded, whatever. I'm uh, looking forward to the M1 Max Ultra Pro. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, the Maxi Pro. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so the, uh, the, the original M1 came out almost two years ago now, released in the, the Mac Mini, and it was kind of designed as their, their standard processor. The MacBook Air shipped with it as well. Uh, the M1 Pro, that's actually what I've got in this laptop right here, uh, which is now in the MacBook Pros, and it's, it's actually a really solid processor. I think mine has 10 cores. Then you've got the M1 Max, and that one was designed for people that do graphics and video editing that need high-end processing. It had a slightly beefed-up AI. I don't know why I even bother saying AI, ML. It has a BS <laughs> chip in it, and so it's got that. But the, the M1 Ultra... Uh, it, it's pretty crazy. So they, they released a, a picture that shows like the chip layout, actually shows the silicon that's involved. And the M1 Ultra, literally, if you took two M1 Max chips, the M-A-X, not M-A-C-S, uh, <laughs> two M1 Max chips and stick them together, that's exactly what the M1 Ultra looks like. So you're basically getting a dual processor System and instead of twenty cores, you'd have forty cores at that point of this M1 Ultra chip. It's pretty impressive. That 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 last chip, there's going to be just six of them all stacked up in it, and then the finger of God's going to come down and actually touch it, bless the chip, so that it can run at speeds unfathomable by the human mind. It'll be amazing, and we'll all die. <laughs> do you remember the SNL skit with Super Colon Blow? Yes, I do. <laughs> you know, you, you need your fiber to stay you regular, right? Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, but with Super Colon Bowl, it's the equivalent of 100 bowls of raisin bran. And you see all the bowls come up. <laughs> yeah. and then, oh, 1,000. You know, th that's how this is. Right? You have more and more is. chips piling up. They were watching the Super Colon Bowl, and they said, I got an idea. We are going to stack these chips together, and then one chip going to be like 12 chips. It'll be amazing. Everybody will love it. You know, Apple's got a ton of money. They could license that name. So, okay, this brings me to a question, <laughs> right? Because like you say, they have a ton of money. M1 chips, Apple creates their own chips, right? They, yes. They've tooled up a system, and now they're pumping out chips left and right. So this yeah. chip shortage really isn't bothering them a whole lot when it comes to that anyway. Why don't some of these ultra-billionaire companies spin up some chip-making manufacturing and, I mean, they got the money, I think. I would think that in their pocket alone, they'd be able to spin up one of these facilities 
And if not, come together and make that happen. Sure. Why are we continuing to wait on Taiwan to make right. this happen? So here's here's my understanding, and and it's a very complex issue. So I'm not going to pretend that I know all the ins and outs of it. But that the the chip shortage is actually not affecting the cutting edge latest and greatest chips. So like if I want to go out and buy an Intel i9. I can buy one right now. Okay. Uh, the 11th gen, the 12th gen, there, there's not a shortage there. I can go and buy one. And it's no big deal, right? It's the older chips that are the problem. So a lot of the manufacturing plants, they shifted to manufacturing newer chips. And you have systems like uh, uh, cars, yeah. right? Where cars, they don't they don't use cutting edge anything in a car. They right. want the technology to be out there for four or five years. It's got to be stable. It's in a car or somebody, you know. Exactly. I mean, as long as the, the, the driver isn't using it. Then it's got to be stable. If the driver uses it, yeah, it can die on you all day. <laughs> so when the when the pandemic hit, they thought, hey, people aren't going to be buying cars, so let's scale that back. And they started retooling factories for newer chips. And now that the you know people are still buying cars, now right. they've got a chip shortage there. And now they're having to try and like split factories and, and try and manufacture different different dyes. It's it's kind of all over the place. And so they got a whole mess. So it's it's so complex. It's difficult to just go, hey, let's build a building make what we need to make, and then go yeah. back to business as usual. And stack on top of that the logistics that even if you man- manufacture like 100,000 CPUs, now you got to get it shipped over to the U.S. or wherever. So we'd really need domestic plants. That and, sounds right. And building a plant takes time. And, and there's, there's several states that have, have got some, you know, they've been doing yeah. big tax breaks and all that to try and get plants like manufactured. like if you got that Jeff Bezos money, you can make it happen. Seems like you could. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if but he's busy going into space. Well, he's got stuff to do. So. Yeah. He's like to say. <laughs> <laughs> He's living his best life now. <laughs> well, if you want a new Mac, uh, uh, a new Mac workstation, the name of it's actually the Mac Studio, since they, they didn't want to call it Pro because that name's right. all they, over the place. So drove it to the ground. And it is cares. the Mac Studio, uh, and they are actually selling an Apple monitor again. You know, they stopped doing monitors for a while, so they do actually have an Apple branded monitor now. Uh, I haven't looked at the specs on it because they're usually overpriced. Yeah, I'm gonna say about eight grand, right? I don't mean I don't mean in resolution. <laughs> I mean in moolah. Yeah, one one dollar per pixel. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, let, let's move into your neck of the woods. I think we got a security article next, right? We do. We do a security. So APC, right? People that make UPSs, we all know them. We all love them. They have a zero day bug that can remotely burn out devices, disable power as well. That sounds bad. Now, it actually doesn't sound that bad. I'm like, all right, the UPS burns out. But but what do they mean by burnout, Daniel? They mean catch fire and burn you to the ground, and you're like a crispy critter when you're done. That's bad. Yeah, that, that's bad. Uh, even even if you live somewhere like the Arctic where it's really cold, you still don't want a chemical fire yeah. in your igloo. You know, that's just not Just gonna... the gases alone that it would release. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you would twist up into a ball of toxic mess before the fire got you. So this is a really interesting one because I, I almost passed on this article, but when I, when I was reading through, uh, you know, I... My first glance at it was, all right, hackers can somehow abuse the UPS to to make it overheat and catch on fire. I just assumed, hey, if you've got a UPS as a smart UPS and it's plugged into your USB connection, you can talk to it and control it. So this means the hackers have to have a foothold on a workstation that has a UPS. There were just like too many pieces to make this effective. And so I didn't think much about it. But I did read the article because I was bored. And <laughs> I found where this one actually goes a lot further further because the attackers don't actually need physical access. They don't even need a foothold on the machine. This is a TLS-based attack, right? Yeah, it, it uh, uh, uses the fact that the, um, the way the cryptography works inside of the TLS exchange, that it's not actually verifying anything. 
so you can craft your own firmware and say, hey, do a firmware update. Actually, it takes like three different uh, CVEs for this perfect storm to come into effect. And you kind of work as a man in the middle attack. And then you can give it your own firmware update. And then you have that embedded code into that system. The update will apply. And people will be like, how are these hackers getting into our system? We've done all sorts of stuff to try to mitigate this. And they continue to persist. What do we do? It's because the dang UPS over there is sitting there like, a, don't look at me. I ain't done nothing wrong. But it's it's basically like an implant into your network because of this. And, of course, they were able to successfully like, tell it to continue to spike the voltage, yeah. which caused it to blow out capacitors and everything and override even the security, the, the safety mechanisms inside of it to where it would – really go buck wild and it like heated up to like 300 degrees Fahrenheit. And next thing you know, the magic smoke gets released. And uh, if there's a white paper involved, if you read the article that we're posting and you follow it down to the white paper, the white paper has pictures for the bigger <laughs> words. And it is actually a pretty fascinating read on how they discovered this and the trials and tribulations that they went through to make this happen. Really fascinating stuff. So if you're in security, I highly recommend it. It's just really interesting. Yeah, now at a at a high level, this is another example of attackers abusing the automatic update system. And so when the software goes to update, usually it'll build a, a secure connection back to, you know, back to its home base or mothership or whatever to be able to download updated firmware. And in this case, they're able to intercept and tamper with that traffic. So, uh, you know, it just shows that even if you spend a lot of time securing your systems and you're doing your updates, the updates can sometimes carry a, uh, I guess that'd be a, a Trojan horse at that point. I like how they're basically, the people are like, we did all the right things and we're still screwed. This is, this is just not fair. And it's not. <laughs> it's literally not fair. This is the problem, right? Is a lot of people, I've been asked this at conferences and things of that nature where people go, you know, what is the state of cybersecurity? What is, it, what is that like? And I'm like, it's a giant dumpster fire with other dumpsters that are on fire inside of it. That's basically what's going on. And it's because of the complexity behind it. It's so difficult to find every nook and cranny of your environment and try to put some sort of security around it that it's just really a matter of time and effort and desire that if someone targets you, they very well may, if they have the wherewithal and the, and the resources, they're probably going to get in. We just do the best we can, and hopefully yeah. we can discover it as soon as possible and mitigate after the fact. But that's the world we live in. Yeah, the tricky part here is like when I think of security, I start thinking, all right, are, are my database servers secure? Yeah. Are my directory server? Are my SSH keys stored securely? I don't think, boy, how's that UPS doing? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not. And, and welcome to the IoT world, right? We just start connecting everything because that is super convenient. But you'll yeah. notice that, like, we just look at last year, look at how many things happened because we decided to take systems that historically were not typically connected to the network. And we connected them to the network. Yeah. And then the storm of fecal matter started to occur. <laughs> and hurricane poop <laughs> happened all throughout 2021 and 2020 because of these lovely little things. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, your, your mention of storm there reminded me that the name of this exploit is TLS Storm. It is. Or is it TL Storm? I think it's, I think it's supposed to be like TLS Storm, but... That's how I would say it. Uh, yeah, there's one S is the TLS point. TLS So if you want to learn more about it, you can Google for T-L-S-T-O-R-M, T-L Storm, I don't know, yeah, whatever it is, R.L. Like Stein, and you will find it. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> it's very scary. Yeah. Uh, oh, Ron right. Hubbard. Well, that wraps up our standard news, but let's jump to our next segment, which is one of my favorites, the Deja News. Deja News. 
I can't do the little dance like Peter did, but you yeah. uh, do uh, pretty decent job. Moves, right? uh, all right, so this is the segment where we revisit an article we reported on in the past, and this time it's going to be Intel's Pluton, or not Intel, Microsoft's Pluton. Daniel, what's going on? We love Pluton. Well, maybe. I don't know. Dell does not, apparently. Uh, <laughs> Dell opts out of Microsoft's Pluton security for Windows. All right. Well, last year at the the big Microsoft conference back in, I believe it was in August, uh, Microsoft announced the Pluton security chip, a way to embed more security controls directly in the CPU of a system. Obviously, they're going to be incorporating this into their Microsoft Surface eventually, uh, but they're encouraging everyone else to do the same. Let's take advantage of it. Windows 11 expects to have functionality like this, either in the form of a TPM or in the form of a Pluton feature built into your CPU. Well, to date, Intel isn't selling any CPUs with Pluton built into them, so that makes it kind of hard to get. And now Dell has come out and said that Microsoft's Pluton does not conform to Dell's requirements. Now, what does that mean? Well, Dell is trying to make all of their customers happy. And that means they ship laptops not only with Windows, but sometimes with Linux and other operating systems. And they have to meet certain standards that have been tested and verified by their customers. And TPMs, traditional trusted platform modules, TPMs have already been through that testing, right? Uh, TPM version 2.0 is kind of what we see in a lot of systems. That obviously implies there were earlier versions. There was 1.0 and 1.1, and, and 2.0 is common now. Uh, so they've already been certified by the customers. They know how to use them. Linux supports the TPM. Microsoft Pluton is not there yet. And so for those of you who may have been excited to try out this new technology, it looks like it's going to be a while. You couple this with the chip shortage. They're not going to manufacture chips that people aren't buying. And so it looks like Microsoft's Pluton may have been derailed a little bit, uh, which is, is unfortunate in a sense and not unfortunate. Like, most people already have TPMs. The TPMs are, are typically outside of the CPU. I say typically because on my computer at home, the TPM is actually part of the CPU. Uh, but on, on some people's, it's outside. Uh, and that means an attacker can abuse that. Hey, Daniel, you told me a story about that, yeah, right? Yeah, we were kind of talking about some of the um, pros and cons for using TPM versus something that's built into the chip itself. TPM, what does it, how, how does it like actually communicate with your CPU? There's a bus. And therefore, you might be able to extract information by, you know, kind of hijacking the bus and seeing what's kind of crossing across that bus. And maybe you never know. You could find encryption keys. And they might be useful for you as an attacker. So that's one of the things. Also, I mean, that's one of the attacks. But I also was reading about how Dell was really saying that when, when they mean customers that like TPMs, they mean government, right? The government hasn't adopted Pluton as a system and therefore... It doesn't make like business sense for them to go forward with that. Am I correct on this? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I haven't read their financial reports yeah. or whatever, but it's pretty safe to assume that the U.S. government is probably Dell's number one customer. Yeah, and so and they're they, always slow to adopt. Yeah. So, yep. What you gonna do? And you know, TPMs already kind of fit the need for most people, so that's kind of the way that the Dell's gonna stay. And you'll see a lot of other vendors doing that too. Intel, obviously, not in a hurry to get this rolled out. Uh, so that that's where it stands. And you know, I. I'm going to get a double dip here on, on Deja News because one of the requirements of Windows 11, if you want to install Windows 11, you have to have a TPM. And I've actually been surprised at how many machines are out there. You know, I hear from people saying, hey, Don, I can't upgrade to Windows 11. And it turns out they don't have a TPM. Even computers bought as recently as this year. Like you can go to Best Buy and not every laptop on the shelf has a TPM in it. It's, it's you know, because they, they used to not bother with home computers. Why, right. why put a TPM on it? Who cares? Well, now we're kind of getting bit in the butt on that because it's it's 
very difficult, not impossible, but very difficult to add a TPM to a computer. Most computers don't have the extra port for it. So, because uh, it has a special header. And so, one challenge is people want Windows 11, but they don't have a TPM. They don't necessarily need that level of security. Microsoft was kind of on the fence, sort of saying, well, there's a way to bypass it. You might be able to do it, but we're not going to support you. Well, the popular disk imaging utility, Rufus, which is is free. You can go and download Rufus. Just search for R-U-F-U-S, Rufus. Rufus. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like Bill, uh, Bill and Ted. And Ted. Yeah. So uh, uh, Rufus, in addition to saving uh, the future of all humanity, uh, is, is useful for making like Linux boot disks and other things. But it now has built into the application where it can download the, the Windows 11 ISO, or if you already have it, and it can patch it to not require a TPM. So if you want to build install media that doesn't require a TPM, it's pretty easy to do so. Wow, could I spin up a virtual machine with that? You could, yeah. Ah, that'd be cool. Then yeah. you can play with Windows 11, see if you like it. If you don't, you blow it away, and then you're, you haven't lost anything on your desktop. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are some virtualization pl uh, products like uh, VMware where you can do a virtual TPM. Hmm. Oh, that's uh, right. So even if your host doesn't have a TPM, you can do a virtual Still one and spin away. up a VM. Nice. Uh, but not everyone does, and, and it's also not the easiest thing to configure. Yeah. So if you can just patch it out, I there like you it. go. For a learning machine or whatever, that'd be fine. I wouldn't want to necessarily do, like, production use that way. Ah, uh, don't be a sissy, Don. Yeah. <laughs> We like to live life on the edge here. <laughs> what, what has me worried on that one is where Microsoft said that, you know, you might not get security updates. Oh, and yeah. nobody really knows what that means, but that just knowing that risk is there is yeah. enough to deter me from doing it. Uh, if you want to check out Rufus, their website is rufus.ie. Rufus.ie. I wonder what country IE is. Uh, I, no. Iceland? Indonesia? It would be, yeah, I don't know. Uh, A lot of countries that start with I, I think. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm going to look up what that country code is while you introduce our... Oh, actually, wait. You got, wait. A, you got a theme song. Our next segment. Yeah, we got a, a dope for this week, so let me cue that up. All right, well, in our dough, we've got a great article coming from China. Daniel, what is it? Oh, man, the Chinese never cease to make us happy. Because this one is, Smuggler tapes 160 Intel CPUs to the body, gets busted entering China. <laughs> Yeah, that, that can happen. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, 160 CPUs, and apparently this is not the first time. They actually got somebody uh, last month. This is month, like a thing. <laughs> the one last month, they had 256 CPUs oh. taped about their body. Uh, and I, I was surprised because— Is that the record? I, is there a record? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the, the ones who are the best at it? Don't get caught. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so so uh, these are—the the CPUs in, in question here are— 10th, 11th, and 12th generation Intel CPUs. You know, 12th generation is the, the current one. Um, I5s, I7s, I9s. So so these aren't like some proprietary CPU or whatever. These are, are standard desktop and server CPUs that are being smuggled into China. Now, I thought this was pretty interesting because Intel is a U.S. company, and we don't have trade embargoes with China right now. Uh, you know, there's some of the encryption limiting stuff or whatever, but they are free to sell Intel CPUs into China. So... It's a little unclear as to why somebody would feel the need to smuggle these in unless they were like imitation or stolen. Uh, you I, know, I would think something along the lines because I, I think of my uh, of Goodfellas, right? They would they would steal a truck with a bunch of liquor on it and then just sell it at like super low price. It was all profit because it was stolen, yeah. so it could be that. And we've we've heard about entire trucks of graphics cards being stolen, right. and you know, like. Uh, 
uh, I forget which company it was, NVIDIA or whoever, where they, they said, all right, well, we're going to invalidate the warranty on those cards. But the cards still work. They'll so apparently, though, there is a customs fee on bringing in those items from outside the country, though. So it was probably easier to get them at either a lower price or stolen from a different area and then try to bring them in. And if you don't pay the customs fee, then it really pays off for you because once you sell them, it's all profit. That's true. You know, like you used to back in the day when people smoked, you could buy cigarettes on the Internet and not pay the tobacco tax. Or if you go on a cruise to get like um, tax free or duty free liquor and stuff. Right. Same kind of idea. I prefer all my liquor without duty. <laughs> That's funny. It's That's my poop. grown-up joke of the That's day. That's a right poop there. joke. That, that <laughs> makes me chuckle. <laughs> See, when when Peter's gone, we That's can let right. loose. I just for some reason I'm I'm seeing you like clean the. Like, oh, I got some duty on this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's liquor. It'll sterilize it. I wanted it. I wanted it duty free. I prefer without duty, but I'm an alcoholic. So. I will take my traveler's <laughs> checks to a competing resort. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what, is, what is that from? Office space. Office space. And I said right. no salt. But there are large <laughs> grains of salt all over it. Uh, so I am embarrassed that I didn't know what .ie was. It is Ireland. Oh, is it Ireland? Uh, which really? I thought was .ir, which Ireland. turns out to be Iran. Iran and Ireland, a little bit different. Just, just, just a little. A little. Bit. Yeah. Just, I mean, <laughs> I could see where you would get confused, but, but there's a distinction. Yeah. <laughs> not really. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, so basically the smuggling is happening. I think we are going to see more of this. Uh, the, there's the chip shortage, right? Right. So people stealing chips and selling them on the black market, I think, is going to become somewhat common. Obviously not in huge numbers. I have to wonder where these are going to be used. Like hmm. regular Intel CPUs aren't really suitable for uh, any kind of cryptocurrency mining. Like you don't get the gotcha. the speeds out of them that you would out of a graphics card. So I don't I don't know what the use would be here. And I'm having a hard time so even making one. So the article up. said that a like an i5 or something goes for like 550 bucks. Hmm. So if you sold those at, let's say, $200 a piece, they'll probably fly off of your shelves. Huh. And you made a shelf a tidy tum. I just gave Wes an i5 the other day that I didn't need anymore. Yeah. I need to talk to him. Was it a 12th <laughs> gen, though? I think these oh, were... Oh, no, no, it wasn't a 12th gen. These were 11th and 12th I gen. I think it was like a 7th or 8th gen. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, those probably go for significantly less. Yeah. Well, you know, if... Uh, if you feel like taking the risk, you can be a, instead of a drug mule, you can be a CPU mule. Listen. Man, I don't want to see the next generation of people trying to hide that through the border. <laughs> oh, and there was, there was something about why they don't do AMD, because AMD still has pins. And Intel does not. That's a good point. Can't, so, uh, can't put that in a balloon. <laughs> no, that's... Uh, it's woo, man. Like I said, I wouldn't want to be that mule. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the uh, the brave new world of contraband technology Indeed. right out there. So uh, if you're ever bored, though, check out that article because they have pictures of the guy where they basically uh, bundled them up into stacks of nine kind of in, in paper. Uh, and then you saran wrap to wrap them around his, his calves, his lower legs, so right. that his pants would cover it and he could just walk through. Uh, but pretty easy to pick up on a metal detector or in this case I, they said the guy was just acting weird and right. so in in Walking many countries and- in many countries if you're acting weird that's enough and that's all they need I, actually i think it's like that here in the u.s right if you're crossing the border they can yeah yeah i think they can do that here too if you're crossing the border yeah they, <laughs> it's not at a designated border crossing well th- this was at a designated crossing right, right? right, so right. It was at a port. oh yeah that's true but if you're acting weird suspicion yeah. right that's a uh, probable cause 
I guess so. Come on over here, sir, while we rubber glove up. Well, you know, speaking of probable cause and uh, invasive searches, uh, <laughs> we've got some great things coming up uh, in the next month. You know, uh, obviously, you'll want to tune back in next week because Peter will be back and the podcast will be back on the rails again. Yeah. Um, but it is Cisco month over at IT Pro TV, and we've got a really cool webinar coming out. Uh, you can get to it if you want to by going to the TechNATO website at technado.com. Or you can jump over to itpro.tv slash webinars. But on March 24th at 2 p.m. Eastern, we've got Cisco's Networking as a Service is finally here. Uh, we mentioned NAS or Network as a Service earlier, and we didn't really define it. If you don't know what it is, here's a great chance to learn. Uh, we've got a, a representative from Cisco is going to be on there. Actually, wait, we've got the Anthony Sequera is going to be right. there. I mean, Sequoia. <laughs> Sequoia. <laughs> Anyhow, it's, it's fun He'll to mispronounce the name. Uh, but yeah, Anthony's going to be here. And, uh, and so he's going to jump on and tell us all about network as a service, what that means, how Cisco fits into that, and the solution. And, and like Erica said earlier, yeah. it's just kind of the way of the future. And he's going to juggle cats while setting himself on fire. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive. It's going to be amazing. You'd think you can only do it once, That's but right. I've no, seen it. Anthony's worked out a, me uh, a method. Commitment. What are you going to yeah. do? Yep. Uh, so that's coming up on March 24th. Be sure to check that out. And also remember, if you want to pursue your IT certifications and establish an amazing IT career like Daniel and I have. Is that what we got? I know we're terrible role models. <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> but uh, you can do so over at IT Pro TV. If you do, when you sign up, make sure you use the promo code TECHNATO30 to save 30% off the lifetime of your account. That's right, not 30%? Not 0.30. And not just for that first month, but for the life of your account. That's an amazing opportunity. Uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, also, and here's where I get a little dicey because social media side, but remember to check out our social media tweets its and faces and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, I know that you can't stop yourself. Don's a... A tweet crazy person. He just loves to tweet all day long. You know what? What actually does help us though is subscribe to the podcast on Apple's podcast utility or on uh, any of the various podcasting services that are out there. Uh, yeah, you know, make sure to check those out. And if you have any questions, listener mail, you know, you can leave all that on technado.com or my favorite website, techne.do, uh, also available. Uh, and you can use our social media at ITProTV on Twitter or hashtag Technado questions. We monitor for that. And your question might be featured here on the podcast. If it is, we'll send you a shirt and some stickers and stuff. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Get some swag. Yep. We Why accept uh, questions. Uh, mama, jokes. mama jokes. Yeah, yep. yeah, definitely. We haven't had a good mama joke in a while. No, nah, not a little while. We'll have to work on one. Well. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to be our wrap. Daniel, any parting words for our guests? No. No. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, I had a lot of fun. Next week, we'll be back with Peter, so the fun will be dead. But uh, it'll be a podcast, so make sure you're there. Thanks for watching. Signing off for TechNado. I've been your host, Don Pazette, here with Daniel. We'll see you next week. See you.